Welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. So far, I have framed none of my argument in a materialist perspective. The usual arguments for the emergence and development of consciousness emphasise the crucial role of the evolutionary development of the brain, the natural selection of genes, the importance of tools, fire, social systems, language, and so on. I'm aware of the importance of these and have studied some of them. However, here I wish to present a purely metaphysical or mythological perspective because this is the language, so to speak, of visionary experiences. Thus, I believe there is a vast intelligence imminent and within the evolutionary process as mystics such as Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, Sri Aurobindo and many others have stated. This intelligence, or light, one struggles for words, is a cosmic principle and manifests everything. I believe that the materialist accounts of the emergence of life and intelligence, such as those just mentioned, are very interesting, but ultimately limited in their explanatory power and certainly do not carry much weight within visionary experiences which do not operate in terms of these concepts. After the presentation of this metaphysical idea of a vast intelligence, in episodes 64 and 65, I suggested that it could be characterised as a creative and destructive principle. I next gave a very brief description of human nature which recognised evolution, since it began with instincts, proceeding to emotional structure that arises out of instincts, and then ego-consciousness and from there to the unconscious. Next, and following the evolutionary path, I posited higher consciousness and gave examples of it in the pre-civilization history of our species. Burial practices, paintings on the cave walls, existence of musical instruments, for example. I presented great mother worship as a foundational stage in the development of human consciousness and described... For example, a sculpture from 24,000 years ago that showed this. You may remember the Venus of Lausanne. I then presented the early stage of the human psyche as it is immersed in nature and the beneficent Great Mother, followed by the opposite, the dark and terrible Great Mother. Early civilizations, especially those characterised by the emerging patriarchy, were impelled to create creation myths and in this current episode, I chose one, the Judaic, and look at what was to become the world's most famous creation myth, that told in Genesis, the opening book of the Bible. As you are aware, from the Judaic religion flowed Christianity, and it also influenced Islam, which both have their own versions of the Old Testament. So, let us begin. The Garden of Eden in this transition to civilization, consciousness at first is relatively freed from its enmeshment in nature and rises to new heights. But there is a cost to this newfound power. In loss, we realize the value of the irreplaceable and thus construct images of a lost paradise, such as the biblical Garden of Eden, in which man and woman lived in love and harmony with a benevolent creator. We lament the loss 
of what we feel we have destroyed. Psychologically, the book of Genesis, the Bible's opening great myth, concerns the birth of consciousness of our species, which is the bearer of a unique seed that has lain in creation and now is about to unfold its beautiful, mysterious and dark flower. Let us look at this founding myth of the Abrahamic religions from a mythological, psychological and evolutionary perspective. The opening lines of Genesis tell of a birth from the darkness of the deep, the unconscious. Let us say the millions of years of evolution in which life has been unaware of itself. There is differentiation above from below and the waters from the land. Let there be light, declares the central event of this creation, the origins of consciousness itself, of divine making. The division of the world into animals and life of all kinds is the further development of this consciousness that is now capable of differentiating and naming the individual parts of this creation. That is to say, psychologically, mankind becomes aware of the world. The biblical myth suggests that we lived in harmony with a benevolent creator. Man and woman lived in unison, and were at one with nature. Despite an idyllic existence, with the promptings of Lucifer, the serpent, we chose to taste the only forbidden fruit in this Garden of Eden, upon pain of death, that of the tree of knowledge. That is, we chose consciousness, rather than remain in the unconscious. In punishment for this, and to prevent us reaching the tree of life, we were banished from the garden to an inferior existence, our earthly condition, from which we long to return to this state of union we have lost. That is, the cost of our consciousness is the loss of the state of unity in nature and the unconscious. The source of such a myth, and many others like it, is threefold, I suggest. Firstly, in the collective unconscious of our species is an awareness of the loss of a primal, original state of union before eco-consciousness, when instead we were part of a great whole. Collectively, the Garden of Eden represents a state prior to developed eco-consciousness, which appears in retrospect as a state of oneness, a unity with nature and within ourselves. It is the unconscious before the emergence of an individualized ego consciousness that is aware of its isolation. By the birth of our ego consciousness, we have broken from a larger unity of which we were once part. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is our emerging ego consciousness, about to differentiate from the unconscious, which produces the awareness of death the separation from the original unity. The collective ego-consciousness of our species, like that of an infant, is at first fragile and easily returns to the mother, the unconscious. It then strengthens until it can apparently gain independence, from which position it may look back at previous stages, such as childhood, as a lost paradise. 
The myth therefore represents our own consciousness and its experience of itself. Adam and Eve are the universal human beings, our primal selves, our essence. The garden is the state of unconsciousness from which we evolved. The tree of knowledge is ego consciousness, which must rupture the early state of unity in the unconscious. Lucifer, the bringer of light, therefore represents this drive towards consciousness. The tree of life is the second tree in the garden. God fears that Adam and Eve, who have already become like gods, in that they are now aware of good and evil, will also taste its fruit and become as himself. This symbol of the second tree, to be explored in a subsequent podcast, has its chief significance in the potential higher development of our species and of all individuals. Secondly, individually we respond to such myths since we carry a memory of union with our mothers in our infancy, a template of all love. The myth represents the state of love we crave, be it personal or spiritual, from which we feel separated. This is our personal Garden of Eden, the unity and love that is the basis of our natural healthy existence, from which we differentiate into individualised beings via our ego consciousness. Yet we long to return to this state all our lives, and to this end we seek union with another human being. Thirdly, spiritually, by virtue of our ego consciousness, we feel cast down into our lower selves and separated from the bliss of union, our higher selves. We are trapped in a state of conflict, division, shame and guilt, knowing that there is within us a state of wholeness, of oneness, that we wish to be united with again. Once having experienced the state of unity, life in its conflicted state appears like a fall from grace. We also seek this state of bliss, unity and love in spiritual experience, as well as searching for rejuvenation, beauty and healing energy in nature. Thus we have a yearning for the Garden of Eden, which expresses itself in many forms. For instance, in our love experience, in spiritual union, artistic expression and appreciation for the beauty of the earth. Consciousness is built on the rupture of its emergence from the unconscious and as such subsequently unconsciously expresses itself in compensation for this trauma. The creative act of the emergence of consciousness is dependent on the repression of our unconscious, an inevitable act but with potentially destructive consequences. Subsequently, Consciousness attempts to heal the wound of its origins. As a mythological representation, the Garden of Eden is condensed metaphor and symbol. Many layers of human experience, feeling and intuition are compacted in a single narrative. And this myth tells a story, which among other things represents the consciousness of a particular culture 
at a certain stage of its development. It can even represent the prejudices of a civilization. It can show the structural, mytho-psychological underpinnings of a whole attitude to life. In this case, one that saturates the attitudes and beliefs of three powerful religions, the Judaic, Christian and Islamic. The more a myth spans cultures and time, the greater its impact, significance and universality. The myth of Genesis underpinned the Abrahamic religions and therefore had enduring importance in the Near East and the West. Do these myths have any significance in the light of scientific knowledge? There is now ample evidence for the age of the universe and the earth. There is also a powerful scientific paradigm of evolution with extraordinary explanatory power that has revolutionised our understanding of the development of life. We possess a fossil record going back millions of years that reveals that mankind did indeed evolve from primates. From this point of view, Genesis cannot be literally true. Yet this myth was believed in its totality and down to minute detail for most of the length of Christian, Judaic and Islamic civilizations. It is only the development of free thinking, independent of church and religion, that provided humanity with a new knowledge of the origins and evolution of the cosmos, the earth and life. In the West, the early glimpses of the existence of evolution, for example, occurred in the relatively free thought of ancient Greece. Anaximander, Xenophanes, Plato, Socrates and Aristotle, among many others. Then, much later in Western Europe, from the 17th century, for example, John Ray, 1686, Carolus Linnaeus, 1735, Comte de Buffon, 1749, Charles Bonnet, 1770, Erasmus Darwin, 1794, Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, 1809, Charles Darwin himself, 1809. The dates just given refer to the birth dates of the writers. Hinduism has had far less problems adapting to modern science than the Judaic Christian tradition. This is because it is far more symbolic and not bound to literal interpretations, which has been fatal for the Western biblical tradition. Scientific discoveries of the age of the universe or the evolution of life on Earth are not problematic for Hindus, since this is anticipated in their mythology and cosmologies. It is the argument of Jungian psychology, demonstrated not only by Jung, but by many others of his school, including Eric Neumann, in a fabulous book called The Origins and History of Consciousness, that the value of myths lies not in explanations of the outer world, but in symbolic representations of the nature of consciousness itself. Once it is acknowledged that it is impossible to accept Genesis literally, then it must be disassociated from scientific investigation. Its truth lies in the realm of symbol. It tells an inner story, much as a fairy tale, dream, parable or legend does, which is not to do with analytic investigation, but is rather concerned with an intuitive, 
symbolic exploration of the inner world and consciousness itself. It is the symbolic representation of the emergence of consciousness from the point of view of a particular civilization. The human creature who has fallen from the garden is the bearer of an extraordinary consciousness, but which is full of suffering and conflict. Why? Our consciousness is beset by distortions, conflicts, inner divisions, compulsions, addictions and dissatisfactions. Why? This consciousness, extraordinary though it may be, is far from being content with itself and is compelled to continually seek external fulfilment and achievement. Why? Throughout most of our history, we have made sacrifices to gods to appease their anger, to persuade them to favour us, to say sorry for our sins. Such guilt and shame. Why? Human beings are, and always have been, the perpetrators of enormous amounts of evil. Why? We are obsessed with death. Why? There is so much unhappiness, yet we have so much. Why? The answer to these questions lies in the shadow of consciousness. It's darkness. I will explore these themes through the biblical myth of the temptation and fall set out in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Myths are symbolic representations then and are the best way to express such complexity. Great myths are archetypal and therefore tell, in symbolic and often narrative form, the struggles and dilemmas of consciousness and the human predicament. The theory of evolution, by contrast, is very much concerned with precise knowledge of the external world. When did the universe begin, exactly? How long has life been on the planet, exactly? When did Homo sapiens appear, exactly? The myths care nothing about exact time, causation or reasoning for that matter. They are timeless, acausal and metaphysical, beyond the so-called reality of our reasoning mind. They tell an inner story of human consciousness rather than the outer story of the origin or development of the world. The shadow of consciousness, its darkness, is explored in two stages. The first is the fall for which Lucifer is held responsible in the Bible. The second is the appearance of Satan, of evil in mankind's consciousness. The biblical myth of the temptation and fall set out in Genesis is our initial vehicle and we interpret the archetypes of both Lucifer and Satan psychologically. We examine Lucifer first, while Satan will be for a later podcast. Lucifer was the chief of the angels, and in some interpretations it is suggested that in his pride he challenged God and was ejected from heaven. For example, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 12 to 18, and Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 18. Also in Dante, John Milton and William Blake, who used this myth to great effect, since it has resonance in the Christian tradition. Thus, like Adam and Eve, Lucifer, which means the light bringer in Latin, 
the morning star, the bringer of consciousness, is punished by a violent separation from the divine. Lucifer is the impulse to consciousness out of the primal unity, the drive for differentiation, the birth of a new world, of conscious discrimination, separated self-awareness. The identification of Lucifer with the light can more easily be understood as the consciousness impulse and the breaking from the primal unity. A passage of the Old Testament declares, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? That's Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. You'll remember from the book of Genesis that after the creation of the world and the creation of Adam and Eve, they are in the Garden of Eden where everything is given to them, except they are forbidden, the tree in the centre of the garden. The temptation scene that follows this in Genesis has a powerful seed of symbolic truth wrapped within the defensive husk of Judaic moralistic consciousness, which was obsessed with sexuality and obedience. The text of Genesis opens the drama, quote, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Comments Lucifer is the most subtle of all creatures, outwardly characterised as treacherous, the form of the serpent, and subtle, that is, cunning, underhand, and devious. But Lucifer is the inevitable impulse to consciousness, which has to rupture the primal unity of unconscious identity. As serpent, he is the primal instinctual energy that pushes to higher forms of consciousness and evolution, or kundalinic energy in Hindu meditational practices. He is therefore subtle, the giver of knowledge, and treacherous, this impulse to consciousness will undermine the primal unity. He is nevertheless part of God's creation. This scheme, this drama, is inevitable. Consciousness is the paradoxical product of creation. In the terminology of these podcasts, the imminence of the universe expresses itself in the birth trauma of consciousness. Eve prepares the drama to come. In paradise, they have everything. All the fruits except one in the midst of the garden, the taste of which is death. 
In the primal unconscious, nothing is lacking. There is no ego to feel a lack. We are enfolded in the great primal unconscious. The tree in the garden, which is forbidden, is consciousness. If one becomes a conscious separate being, an ego, then one dies to previous existence contained in the womb of creation. The primal unity must die. It is ruptured by the emergence of consciousness. Life evolved for millions of years without self-consciousness being developed in any animal. Let us suppose that consciousness is imminent in evolution, not programmed as an inevitability, since many circumstances may conspire against it. But higher forms of consciousness, and eventually self-consciousness, will emerge in the course of evolution when conditions are ripe, like a seed falling on fertile ground. Within our current evolutionary perspective, the vast pre-conscious period can be thought of as the Garden of Eden, this earth a paradise. The emergence of Homo sapiens is the birth of consciousness symbolised by this tree in the midst of the garden, which inexorably emerges from this earth paradise. It does not matter if one believes in evolution or creation. The paradox of the emergence of consciousness is the same. Lucifer, the consciousness impulse, replies that Adam and Eve will not die, that on the contrary they will be as gods, knowing good and evil, that is, they will emerge into consciousness, have knowledge and discrimination, will awake from the slumber of the unconscious, no longer be just another part of creation, but will know it and know themselves. Therefore, they will be as gods, not as God the Creator, but as gods that are distinct from lower creation that is not self-aware. Self-awareness is semi-divine, an extraordinary product of creation, otherwise known as evolution. Eve eats the fruit. It is good, quote, to be desired and to make one wise, unquote. That is, it brings consciousness. She gives it to Adam, who also tastes this fruit. The movement to consciousness takes place in stages. Temptation, persuasion, partial conviction, then total acceptance. It is a transition full of conflict and drama. One of the many powerful themes compacted in the temptation of the Eve story is that the emergence of consciousness is a moral problem. Genesis is saturated with a moral dimension. The very existence of consciousness is a moral dilemma. We will explore this in the subsequent podcast. Meanwhile, a poem. The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve hear the heavenly words of caution. Love is sweet and love is pure, a light within your soul. Fragrance melts your outer core. Surrender to be whole. Forever and forevermore, this love transcends all time. Your bodies do one soul unite, as words are sung in rhyme. Your bodies melt within its flame. Soft the essence, tender touch. New day dawns, this kiss 
is all. You can hardly bear so much. By nature blessed, your hearts do ache. Be at peace and still your mind. He is creation for your sake. All is given to mankind. The joy within creation's light may be your only guide. Rejoice in every moment. There's nothing you should hide. You are perfect. You are whole. There's nothing left to need. All you want lies in you now. Already you are freed. Oh, why seek more when what you have can last for all earth's time? Why seek for knowledge evermore? It only ends in crime. Against yourself, against the world, forego this path of woe. Already you have wholeness. There's nothing more to know. Love within is all there is. No need is there to search for monuments of earthly pride. Why try to build a church? No need for armies or for pride. Why seek you for respect? All that you could want is here. There's no need to reflect. Just be quiet, soft and still. Hark to nature's voice. Harmonies within your soul. No need to make a choice. Avoid the tree of knowledge. Ask not the reason why. Let not the serpent tempt you. Its fruit will make you die. No need to take the apple. No knowledge you require. Stay full in this existence. Just quieten your desire. Why seek to know the difference between what's right and wrong? This garden has eternal life. It's here where you belong. <laughs>